Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're on the, I think it's the seventh chapter, but the, this chapter is called the Arahant of Aga, or the qualities of an Arahant. And again, I always do a brief review of where we are. And the, the Buddha started out this whole uh, Dhammapada, Dhammapada uh, book uh, by emphasizing the importance of right meditation, the right method, leading to um, right mindfulness or refined mindfulness. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, uh, Matt taught a great class on the Balavaga uh, of fools and foolishness. And again, I'll point out that the word fool seems to have quite a charge with people, but it simply means to be acting unwisely or imprudently. And so the Buddha uses that word, uh, and I use it, to describe someone who comes to the Dhamma, to the Buddhist Dhamma, or pure Dhamma, but insists on bringing other practices uh, into the Dhamma or insist on not changing their mind, uh, which is the whole point of the Buddhist Dhamma, to bring a mind that is ignorant of four noble truths and so prone to stress and suffering, uh, to change that mind in a very gentle and direct way through the heartwood of the Dhamma. And this is something that sets the Buddhist Dhamma apart from everything else that I ever came across, whether it's in modern Buddhism or other spiritual or philosophical doctrines, uh, this actual path, uh, well-defined, well-taught, uh, as the Buddha uses the words, it's good in the beginning, good in the end, and good in the, good in the, begin, in the middle, and good in the end. What that means is that it's accessible, easily accessible, and it's doable, it's achievable. It, it, again, it's clearly defined. Nothing is left to chance, nothing is left to our imagination, nothing is left to our speculation, and nothing is left to our ignorance. So this, this chapter speaks to, uh, and then we, after Matt's class, we, the uh, last chapter was the Pandita Vada, where the Buddha describes the path, the heartwood of the Dhamma, and how we develop that. Now, this, this following chapter is describing to us the qualities of an arahant, meaning what we will achieve, what we will develop within ourselves. And as I'm reading this, I want you to ask yourselves, are any of these qualities not achievable uh, by a human being? The Arahanta Vaga, and just to, to a little background, just a little understanding, is that the Buddha was a teacher. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a miracle worker. He taught people how to do this. The Arahant, the Buddha's words, the Arahant, the perfected one, who has completed the Eightfold Path. Again, this is, this is the quality of an Arahant. They are free of disappointment. And notice where that comes in. Someone who practices the Eightfold Path will be free of disappointment. What disappointment is the Buddha talking about? Well, he's talking about the general disappointment of having a human life rooted in ignorance, but the ongoing and direct disappointment of continually chasing after something to save ourselves. The wise Dhamma practitioner who has completed the Eightfold Path is free of that disappointment. How, do, are, they, how are they free? Why are they free? Because they know. They know the path is done. As the Buddha declared upon his awakening, he knows the path is done. There's no, the words that he uses, there's nothing further for this world, meaning he's released all his entanglements with the world. Who is free of worldly entanglements, his word here, and has abandoned 
the fever of passion, which another way of saying that is the fever of ongoing eye-making, which would be maintained by someone who is acting unwisely or imprudent, impudently, imprudently within the Dhamma, a fool. Mindful of right effort, they are not attached anywhere. Like swans who abandon a lake, they leave home after home behind. What is that home after home? Well, it could be looked at as a physical home, someone who's wandering after and chasing after enlightenment. But a home is the is the continual establishment of a self. And a, root, a mind that is rooted in ignorance is constantly changing and creating a new self moment by moment based on external conditions or how that mind views external conditions. Those who abandon clinging do not accumulate and do not overindulge with regards to food whose purpose and who and whose purpose is understanding and unbound freedom. They cannot be tracked like the birds in the air. Those who meaning they are free. They're they're The metaphor relates to someone who, who is free of clinging and who no one can cling to. That's ultimate freedom. And they, a, a, a person who is developed in the Dhamma cannot be emotionally attached to by others because they are free of the need of others being any different than they are. That's true liberation. That's true freedom. Those whose fetters are destroyed and are not attached to food, whose purpose is understanding and unbound freedom, even their path cannot be tracked like the birds in the air. All beings hold dear, the wise who know restraint like a charioteer restrains a horse. All beings hold dear, the wise who has destroyed, destroyed pride, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Look at the world today, all the things that, that we're throwing a, a, around at each other, accusing people of those that don't fit in with our tribe. We're always talking about their pride. Look at that, that fool. They're wrong and they're prideful about it. We always blame people's greed for leading to their pride. And we always have aversion to other people who we think are rooted in greed and are expressing their pride. And we're saying, look at their thinking, but it's our deluded thinking that would take notice of that in the first place. We are not free like the birds in the air when we're doing that. It's one thing to notice it. That's an aspect of Dhamma practice. It's another thing to insist that other people be different than they are. The wise, the arahant, like the earth itself, resents nothing, is resolute as a stone pillar in their Dhamma practice. Their mind is pure concentrated, refined, and is free of all worldly entanglements. Again, does anybody feel they can't develop this? Calm thoughts, calm speech, calm deeds. The Arahant, truly knowing the Four Noble Truths, is perfectly tranquil and wise. As a consequence of knowing these four truths, the Arahant is free of blind faith, and knows the end of karma, having abandoned the fetters, loosely characterized as greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, although there's more that are enumerated, the cause for suffering has ceased. This one is the most excellent of people. Inspiring indeed is the Arahant's dwelling, whether village, forest, or mountain. 
meaning it doesn't matter where they are. They don't need grand palaces. They don't need to be on mountaintops. They don't need to be adorned in any way. Inspiring indeed is the Arahant's dwelling, whether village, forest, or mountain. Inspiring are the quiet spaces where worldlings find no pleasure, only peace. Inspiring is where Arahant's, free of passion, free of eye rejoice from abandoning, chasing, sensual pleasure. Arahants, this is the, this is the culmination of the path though. Arahants, free of passion, rejoice from abandoning, chasing sensual pleasure. It's the end of this chapter. Thank you, Ed. Um, let's go around the room and we'll start with Brett. Brett, how are you tonight? I'm good. Uh, thank you for your My pleasure. Uh, that the uh, I was one of the family members said uh, one family member said oh this other family member doesn't get back to me and I'm like well he just doesn't get back to you and I've battled this for years and I'm like oh. there's a very latch on to the resentment where I can just accept the way it is and be like this is who you are and then claim to want to be different for another year and what leads to a better quality of life? Yeah. So why don't we do it all the time? Conditioned thinking. Yeah. If we don't do it all the time, it's just because we need a little bit more dollar practice. I'm glad you joined. Michael, how are you tonight? Good job. Yeah. Obviously, an hour is an individual very well first in the Dhamma. To get to that point of actually uh, non-attachment, experience life with, with non-attachment, uh, I believe that's the point where uh, at that point the Eightfold Path is, is, is held in mind. So when we're not attached, when we're not uh, distracted by all those things we consider the self, all those things that uh, we choose to sustain the self, when, we're, when we recognize that we're actually trying to sustain the egos, when we detach from that, some clarity there, clarity there. It says here, that's like, I believe that's where they have completed the Eightfold Path, which is almost kind of a, it's hard for me to even understand how you get to that point of like actually completing the Eightfold Path. I think I know what it entails, but I know that it certainly takes a concentrated mind to sustain that ability, to sustain that effort to complete the Eightfold Path. But I do believe non-attachment and just as we don't attach uh, when we're in jhana meditation we let the thoughts come low we don't attach them that's the same sort of attachment that uh, calm peaceful mind will enable us to have we have that deep concentration 
Well said, Michael. What is that experience? What's what's the experience like when you when you recognize that you're caught up in a moment rooted in ignorance and you abandon it? Um, for me, uh, you know, the quality of mind obviously comes with the quality of mind is based on. in here uh, of, of the swan swans flying from lake to lake not leaving a trace behind it's just that, that is I love that yeah it sustains me to, to, to think of that there's nothing holding them there they will leave any trace behind and they are completely free yeah. Free as a bird. Is that Leonard Skinner? Free bird. Thank you. Kevin, good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Um, yeah, that, that's funny you said that now. I've uh, been noticing a couple of swans in a stream often on my walks through the woods, and they're there. Sometimes they're not there. It's just. Wonderful to see them. This reminds me of that freedom. Sometimes I wonder where they go and I see them again. So they're just being free. It's a, it's a nice metaphor, really. Uh, well, it's touching. So, thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, free from ignorance. Good evening, David. I found it interesting, stuck in the middle of that, about being moderate of food. Mm. Twice. Yeah. I don't know if you repeated it or it was mentioned twice, but remember he's instructing beakers. He's instructing them about the hindrances. And you know, probably there were new and young people that were struggling with, you know, the regimen. Yeah. And that this is what it looks like to be Arkhan. This is where you are struggling with, you know, simple thing like food. You're eating once a day, going out and getting the food. So yeah. I just found it interesting with all the imagery of swans, that simple instruction, be moderate of food, as an instruction. So thank you. Yeah, and again, think of the, the, the brilliance of 
of this awakened human being pointing to something that everybody can relate to. Everybody wants more food. And it and people that indulge in that get into trouble. And then those that understand the Buddha's Dhamma that have listened to him for a relatively short while also understand that food is metaphor for sustenance and ignorance is metaphor for not metaphor, ignorance is the the sustenance that continued suffering is required for, is, relies on for continuation, sustenance. You know? So they, there's that direct relation to what food is to us as human beings, and then that deeper meaning of what are we doing? Are we are we continually sustaining, maintaining ignorance, or are we introducing food, sustenance, refined mindfulness and concentration that delivers us from that type of abandonment? Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, it's just it is just that direct the metaphor. The metaphor of the swans points to what is it like to be free of constant sensory indulgence, including the obvious one of "I need more cake," mm-hmm. never satisfies. Thank you for pointing that out. Hello, Matt. Um, <clears throat> uh, good to see everybody. Um, yeah, something in what Brown and Kevin and David just brought up, and what you just said, John. Um, Kind of folds in this teaching that we're going to be talking about on the retreat this weekend, which is, you know, noticing the presence of something and noticing the absence of something. Yep. And I think that was very. important. Noticing the presence of hunger, for example, and, and the absence of hunger. Noticing the presence of the swans on the lake and noticing their absence. And noticing pleasure in the mind and noticing not pleasure. Noticing pain and noticing that there is no pain. All Oh, okay. Yeah. Noticing disappointment and contentment. Yeah. It's such a such an important point, Matt. Thank you. But it, and again, that that is pure Dharma practice. What Matt is describing. It's not just it's not just what we're gaining. It's not just the noticing that we're getting more enlightened, because we can't get more enlightened unless we actually see what we're abandoning. Because we don't see it, we're not doing. It. But it but it also is not an analytical thing. In other words, we shouldn't be picking apart. The things that we're recognizing no longer serve us that are rooted in ignorance. The Buddha teaches us in a dispassionate way. We simply recognize it and abandon it. That's it. That's all we do with this. John, is that equanimity? That's equanimity. That's a mind resting in equanimity. Even when that mind is is still has some uh, shred of ignorance left, it's recognizing the lack of equanimity in this moment because it's already experienced that first in jhana meditation, and then, again, as Michael was describing, in real-life incidences, and in life as life occurs, we recognize, here's a manifestation of ignorance. It's wanting another piece of cake. I recognize it. Let it go. And why am I letting it go? Because it's a disturbance in my mind. I recognize it as such. Not because somebody said, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. I recognize it no longer serves me as an awakening, wise Dharma practitioner in that framework is how I remove it. Not because it's bad, not because I might get something, 
because it's no good for me. It's no good for my humanity. It's no good for my freedom. So I don't need any coercion to let go of that second piece of chocolate cake. I do it willingly and gently within myself, rooted in concentration. Thank you. Um, I always like to think who joined us first, but sometimes I forget. So uh, I'm going to go to Cliff. No, Jen, Jen was definitely here first because. Yeah, <laughs> Hello, Jen, oh. with the blonde hair. Hi. Um, I was thinking exactly what Matt was thinking. Um, noticing what's present and what's not present. And when you can do that, my experience is unbinding. And I was already, I was just experiencing unbinding. So I'm not going to talk anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. We'll, we'll see you over the weekend. Yes, yes. On retreat. Cliff, how are you? Just wonderful. Thanks for asking. Uh, boy, this one throws me a bit, I got to tell you. Um, I wonder about a couple of things. Uh, those who abandon clinging do not accumulate and do not overindulge with regards to food. And I wonder if they're actually talking about food that you eat. And I was wondering if the food could be, the food is like the fuel that feeds the fire. This is a lot of analogies of burning. Yeah, sustenance. So the food that could be taken as um, that fuel for uh, passion, uh, the fuel for the creation itself. Because it doesn't seem like it's food is going to be that big of a deal. To, you know, to, these people are only eating a small amount once a day. So they're not, uh, I don't think he's talking to, to uh, people that are in the palace and they're, you know, having big feasts three times a day. He's talking to the monks. Um, so I wonder about that. And then it, it talks about those fetters, those whose fetters are destroyed and are not attached to food. Again, to this burning and the fetters, of course, are the fetters that bind us to suffering. So we're free from the fetters that bind to suffering. So I think it's a bit more than, than just, just you know, eating. Oh, yeah. It, 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 again, it, the, the food is, is both, it is eating, but it's also, because food is such a visceral experience for all of us, mm -hmm. and it's also metaphor for the sustenance that would keep ignorance going. Yeah. Because food is sustenance. And, and so those that understand the Dhamma just a little bit deeper, understand the implied meaning there too, or the, or the metaphor. Is that such a word? Meaning metaphor, metaphor? Yeah, it's the right word. Uh, or, and the metaphoric meaning of it, that it, the deeper meaning that it, that we, it is up to us with a um, uh, decided effort to maintain ignorance. We, and we have to sustain our own ignorance. We have to, we have to continually feed you know, it's, it's what that, what's that saying that you have a good wolf and a bad wolf? Is that, is, and which one are you going to feed? This is the same thing. Are we going to continue to feed ignorance? Are we going to develop concentration and refine mindfulness, recognize it as it arises and simply abandon it? So you bring up a good point, Cliff. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, another translation of that, I was, I was just looking at it because I was confused about it. It says, it says uh, having understood food, their pasture is emptiness and freedom 
without a sign, like a bird. Yeah, uh, I can understand how that trail. Yeah, yeah, that translation would fit with 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 more modern applications of the Dhamma, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, so. a, a, empty of empty of self. That's what emptiness, emptiness there. Yeah, and I, again, that's not something the Buddha taught, but so I can understand where that where the genesis of that is. So, thank oh, you, that, Cliff. Yep. Okay. Hello, Jane. How are you? I'm fine, John. Um, building on the theme that Matt was talking about recognition, I, in fact, I had just uh, emailed Matt about it. Um, I'm recognizing that I'm handling things different in like real life. For me, it's dental work all the time. But I mean, in the past, dental work would have been aversion. And now when something big comes up, it's like, okay, you know, deal with it. So I am definitely noticing, a, recognizing that I am, um, you know, dealing with life as it occurs. Again, Jen, it's worth the price of admission, isn't it? Because that's, it that's is. not a practice. It, right. It just makes our, our lives better in a practical way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, and I, like you, I, I've overcome my, my fear about the dental work and all that stuff. But I just got rid of them all and got dentures, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Steve, how are you? I think that's you, Steve. Yeah. Hi. I'm good. Uh, I will keep noble silence today. Well, I'm glad you joined us, and we look forward to seeing you on retreat this weekend, Steve. Me too, thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you all. Um, yeah, just a few quick words, and we'll close. Our retreat begins Friday night. Uh it's in person and online. I encourage you that if you can get here uh, to join us in person. If you can't, please join us online. Uh, the schedule is on the website, and the suttas will be teaching, and the teachers that will be teaching them is also all there. Uh, I think it starts six thirty Friday night, and we'll conclude Sunday afternoon. Uh, you'll get a chance to hear each one of our teachers will give us their own section on the uh, Satipatthana Sutta. And then uh, next week, there's going to be a, um, I'm going to send a newsletter out describing it, but there will be a, uh, a very important class, uh, somewhat out of the ordinary. I would ask all of you uh, to attend if you can, and if not, to please uh, review, the, review that particular class. Uh, and, it, it, and you'll understand all that when you receive the newsletter on Sunday. I just don't want to take it. It's not, it's nothing hidden or secret. Um, but it is important to our sangha. And we'll finish that as we always do with the Buddha's words on Metta. As I call it up. These are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And I, again, I should say this is the Amaravati. Um, let's see what that was. This is the, uh, the uh, Amaravati monastery in London that did this translation. The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, 
the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all be to be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for wonderful fast tonight. Peace. See you on retreat. Yeah. Thank you, See you soon. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.